Hey everyone, this is Tanya Nayak, and I'm so excited that you're here with me listening to my new podcast, The Break. Let's hear people's stories, their journey, their passion about how they found so much success just doing what they love. My next guest is Greta Monahan. She is a mogul in the beauty industry. She has a heart of gold and has experienced some incredible hardships in her life. This is a two-part series where I'm excited for you to listen and learn. I was like a sponge taking in every bit of information that she had to offer. I think you're going to love it. Hi. Hello, gorgeous. I'm so happy to see your face. I'm so happy to see yours. I don't even know how you're sitting, Tan. You do so much. These shows. I'm, congratulations. It's Thanks. so amazing to see you uh, blow up. You are just killing it. I, you know, it's funny because when I started this podcast and it's called The Break, yes. I was thinking about the people and the stories that I wanted to bring into this podcast that are meaningful and and insightful and stuff that people can learn from. And I was thinking mm-hmm. about all the different sort of careers out there and you just popped popped in my head immediately from the get-go because Greta, you know, I, I don't think I ever really actually told you this. So I'll tell our listeners right now a little yeah. bit about our history. <laughs> so so <laughs> we're both from, where we met. Yeah, exactly. We're both from Massachusetts, from Boston. And we were doing Rachel, you were doing Rachel Ray a lot longer than me, but it's funny because at this point I've been doing her show for about, I think, 14 years. So you must going to say you came in right after we broke the show. Thank God. And I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget. I'm going to let you finish. But I remember thinking, how is she from Boston? And we don't know each other. You know how, you know how tight knit Boston is. Like I'll just, I remember thinking, wow, this is such a bonus. So Totally. And then I remember mentioning to Rachel that, hey, I'm from Boston. I would really love to meet Greta. She's like, you don't know her? She goes, what? I don't even understand. And immediately, she I think you were there that day and she grabbed you and grabbed me and introduced us. And it was like, love at first sight. But I think that's the case for everybody that meets you. Everybody is in love with Greta. Every person. You're just that person. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm sure we could find, we could dig a couple up that probably would not agree. I but, don't know. <laughs> but I, deep. Hope, I hope, I hope you're right in the majority. I, I really appreciate that. That's so kind. That's so and true. I could say the same of you because I mean, you already, you know, I think the thing that made me feel an instant bond with you and a lot of people, I'm sure, cause I've read a lot of your interviews that you've done, you know, it isn't always that, people who are on TV as either contributors or hosts or experts even actually have founded a business and founded success of their own. A lot of times, especially in these times, they will mine or seed success after they have the TV platform. And by the way, I'm not judging. Whatever way you mine your success, there is no right or wrong way. And I love and admire people who do it both ways. But back in the day, 14 years ago, you were probably ahead of me, but I certainly know that I did not own an Instagram. I did not have any, you know, Facebook or any of this sort of thing um, or social platforms whatsoever. But what I did have was a really, really, you know, tight knit, homegrown 
family business. And I know, and, and why that comes full circle is when I met you and you had female founded and female fueled, you know, what is it? All of your designers are women. And again, nothing. Are, yeah. Yeah. That's, but it also that. was a that's pretty true. dominant male force of people and not bad. We love them all, mm-hmm. but like, it really was, I remember that little spark of like, Oh wow. Like she's different. She's here you know, being called on, but she's like, does this every day in her life. And so I felt an immediate kinship with you and an immediate respect. Well, and then Um, we worked together. We did a project, one of your gorgeous salons. We did that project together and it was so much fun. And I love working with like-minded people. So you're, you're this, and I mean this in the most loving way, you, a, you're just a boss bitch, but in a good way, (laughs) not a bitch at all, but like, you have so much respect when you walk into your places and I've gone to a whole bunch of them. And this is the thing that back then when we first met, I, I remember wanting to ask, and I don't know why I never did, but I wanted to know how all of it had happened and how it spawned into this world that you're living in right now, because you have spas, you have salons, you have your style business, you have shops, you have online shops. And then add on top of that, you are also everywhere on television. Everybody wants Greta. Everybody knows Greta, you know, and then you've got your family life on top of it. So there's just so many things that you juggle and you always make it look effortless, although I'm sure it's not always effortless. But I've always wanted to kind of dig deep and scratch that surface with you and find out all about that journey and how you got there. Because I know there's a lot of people out there who own spas or a spa or a salon or, you know, is that Ricky walking behind you? It very well. Oh yeah. He's cleaning up the the cushions because I know he's thinking if Tanya has this being filmed, I'm mortified that she didn't pick up the cushions. I'm telling you, he is your spirit brother like separated at birth. He is. I know. And I didn't even tell him that there might be some video. I was like, don't worry, hon. It's only boys. He's like, I need to fix everything. I'm like, no, don't worry. It's Tanya. Like she gets it. We're living like we're absolutely, you know, not, I'm, I'm definitely at the least, uh, sometimes failing on the domestic aspect <laughs> of my, or my, my interior design, uh, you know, aesthetic is, is definitely up and down with two no boys way. at home. You know, no I way, have, no way. you know, Ricky, who is my husband, who's amazing, who's a career actor and producer and a hobbyist in, in, you know, wants to be you when he grows up now uh, <laughs> in interiors and does, he has an incredible aesthetic. So we share lots of that. And then we have our two sons. We have Kai, who is just turned 11 last week. And wow. we have Rio, who is four. So I can't yeah, believe you know, it. I remember when, when you were pregnant with Rio. So do you mind my asking how old you were? Oh, yes, girl. I was 43 when yeah. I gave birth. Yeah. So, so I was in the depths of IVF when you yeah. got pregnant. And I remember that was another thing I wanted to say. So, I, so meanwhile, I don't know if you're standing or sitting, but we have a lot to talk about girlfriend. Yes. So like we have I a lot. I'm okay. I'm at my bar. I'm leaning. I'm oh, leaning God. on my bar. I hope you have a cocktail. <laughs> so don't worry about me. I like this position. Um, yeah, <laughs> we... no, we do. In fact, let me correct myself. I actually also was in the throes of IVF at 43. You and I had, we were being rushed through the studio. I remember you and I stopping 
to share. And it was, I, you know, I think you had shared with me and I was like, listen, it's so hard. Like, let's talk, you know? And, um, it was brief. We, you know, I, often we can't go deep while we're in a timed setting like right. that. Um, but I know every, at every turn that you and I would collide, we would embrace and we would have that in common as well. And, um, you know, it was, uh, that's a journey. That's definitely a journey in this conversation, which we can circle back to for sure. But I want to clear up. I realize now I was, I was 45 because if, right, I'm 51 now. So 45, I think I finally got pregnant. I have them at 46. Anyway, it's all a fog. It's all an idea fog, but all I will say is, it was the hardest journey of my life. Right. Am I glad to be at this place right now? I am. But what I also want to say is, um, you know, for anyone out there who, and any of your listeners who struggled or maybe shared your experience as well, doesn't have children at home either now or what have you, I really feel, I don't know, there was something in me as well who, that knew whether I had a dog that I adored or nieces or God kids or friends, kids that became family, you know, whatever that is, I just knew that I would have love in my home. And, you know, I, 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 I never, I, I, again, I give grace for what I have, but I, you know, there are many, many ways to make family. So, I, you know, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, I, I've talked about it a little bit, not that much, but I'm very much an open book, but you know, we went through seven cycles and then it got to that point at 46. I actually realized it was that, that age where I was like, you know what? I feel like God or whoever it is that whoever, whatever anyone believes in is trying to tell me something and maybe I should Mm -hmm. just listen and embrace it. And I'm glad that I did because now here I am, I'm, I'm almost 49 and I, I feel like a weight has been lifted because I've made that peace with it. You know what I mean? And so it's been good. And you're right. I have so much love in my life with my nephews and my dog and my, my friend's kids. So, so I know how family is for you. You are loaded with people who love you and you give uh, so much love. And just to put it in perspective, I think you might know this, but my mom wasn't well growing up. So this is the beginning of the journey that I'll take you on my mom, which I think it's also, you know, I'm an open book, really important to, to say she was diagnosed as a schizophrenic. So Though I know we have those portrayed in movies and stuff, it's a very, very, very tragically debilitating disease. Um, You know, mental health is obviously a main focus for me, but also in the world now, thank God people are speaking about it more. Thank goodness we have more celebrities talking about dealing with it either themselves or with their parents. And the reason it links up to what you and I just naturally gravitated towards, which is family and motherhood and the lack thereof, is that my mother's oldest sister, her name was Kathy Priest, and she was the eldest of, of five. Okay. Two out of five of those children that my grandmother had, two of them were mentally ill, my mother being one of them. And my aunt ended up not having any children of her own. She had very severe endometriosis. So they tried, but she wasn't able to have them. And she ended up basically taking me in and raising me. Wow. She never had that as a life plan. She never, you know, grew up saying, oh, you know, of this time, I'm, I'm not going to have my own kids or what have you. Mm-hmm. But there was, she mentioned to me when I asked later in life, why me? Did you know, were you just aware that my mom was not going to actually be able to ever get well enough to raise me? And she said, I never knew that. But when 
I got to a certain stage and age and I looked out and saw, saw all the people in our family and then some that I loved need, needed care. I embraced it. So you are, you know, your inner, your inner voice is so profound because there's so much that you can actually give out that I at times feel like I cannot. So I think that's the yin and yang and the beauty of life and love and family and, you know, defining that. And so to me, it's a really, a woman's inner voice is so important. And the fact that you were at a stage of happiness where you could, you know, you could just say like, I'm, I'm at peace. Yeah. That's where our family's at. It's incredible. It's incredible. So it's so good. And there's so much good in that, but I I got the benefit of that. I was on the receiving end of your nieces and your nephews. (laughs) I was one of those. And I actually got the almighty gift. And if you want to say my very first break was my aunt Kathy for sure, without question, because she and my uncle who were, you know, a, a, a mega force brought me in. She also, I think at a very early age without ever trying, Tanya, really instilled knowledge in me and empowered me in a way that was very quiet. It wasn't like being trained or in boot camp or anything crazy like that. But, you know, due to the fact that I live with her, um, you know, I got to sort of get into the mystery of her into this amazing person that she was beyond what was what was externally obvious. One of the things is, you know, she shared with me when I was in high school and I was struggling, she said that she had been voted the valedictor- valedictorian of her class, but they gave it to the, to a man, a young man who was, wow. because he was a boy, mm-hmm. they put him in first position, even though she actually was number one, there were just certain things that she never said with bitterness, but it instilled this sense of, you can do it. You know, you can do it. You can be your best self. And I know, you know, no matter what kind of challenge you face, you know, please know you can do this. And just, she had this incredible dignity about her where she just, you know, whether it was coming in to save the day with my family and being such an unbelievable human um, to do what she did in those days uh, to take her sister's child in fully, how full stop, you? you know, yeah, really a big deal. What's I, well, so she started taking me on weekends when I was five, maybe, wow. maybe my son Rio's age four. Um, and then the full move in was when I was 13, probably the very worst time you could ever, ever <laughs> take a young girl in at preteen, pre adolescence, yeah. right? I mean, so, how, were, you know, you, she, did, were you happy about that move at 13? Or were you fighting it? Or did, recall that? So time? The, de- the way the house, the way it worked at the time was that my mom, because she was so ill, she lived with my grandmother. My grandmother was, was actually care of my mother and me trying to raise both of us really challenging to have a little kid to have someone with also someone with that level disability with so many needs, you know, and so many variables. It was my grandmother and my grandfather, incredible people. So, you know, I had this incredible dichotomy of like watching my grandmother who was so stoic and strong. And my mom who was actually now as an adult, I can say, brave and incredibly strong trying to stay with her daughter. And then this aunt on the outside that was like this she just was a rock, a beacon, just a rock. And I try to live every single day. I could never bring what she brings to the table, truly what she brought. But I just like, 
in my mind's eye, if I'm challenged, like I think of her, her face comes up in front of me. So I had these amazing women. And so to answer your question, I remember just being unsure. And I just remember the biggest thing I can say that was the most impactful and the most healing for me was feeling safe. Wow. You know, anyone who's in a household or in a, in a moment where they're, again, no, no one's fall, but they just have things that are not consistent or they've spurred alcoholism in the house or any of it. And I'm sure your listeners, we all have something that we've, you know, we've witnessed or we haven't, or maybe a few of us are very lucky, but if you have anything like that or a mental illness, then you can totally, you know, it resonates with you, right? When you feel, when someone says, I didn't know quite what it was because I was young and I was a kid, but I do remember not feeling quite safe or in contrast, going out to school and realizing that maybe my mom and my kind of parental situation weren't the same as other kids, you know, and why was that? It was a very hard, it was a very hard discussion. It's just not an easy discussion, even for adults to have. Right. That's so true. And then I so, wonder, like with she that, was the big break. <laughs> she, was the, she was the big ultimate break, but we know there were so many more that came after that, because I wonder how that impacted the decisions that you made to pursue the career that you did. So what was the first sort of moment when you knew, oh, I really like to do this. This is what I'm going to do with my life. And what was, what was that all about? Yeah. So I, my aunt exposed me to the fashion world early. She belonged to a club in Waltham, Massachusetts. And I know, you know, this woman probably very famous and did some very uniquely entrepreneurial things. Her name is Yolanda Salucci. And she had a, at that time, a world famous head to toe boutique spa. No one even heard of spa back in the day. And she had a limited number of members, almost like a female country club or a Soho house for women that was very much about self-care, beauty, fashion of the highest level. And she was really the first and first woman stylist that I not living in New York City or LA, you know, um, it was harder to come by that, you know, those kind of high fashion purist, very, you know, devoted to art and design type of places. And my aunt introduced me to her. And she really knew that I had this little bug, like I was the one pressing my nose up against, you know, the, you know, Copley Place windows and Gucci and, you know, all of those stores and all, you know, thinking, wow, I, I just love this. I love all of it. In the magazines, I was a magazine crazy person. I take all of my earnings from all of my chores and go and buy a stack, whatever I could afford of fashion magazines and flip and look and tears and stick them on the wall, not knowing what I was doing. I just was so in love with it and moved by it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and early on, it didn't gel to me exactly, but really after I had the opportunity to basically work in a little cafe, I was 14. I had just moved in with them a year or two. And I said, geez, I would love to just work here. I'll do any job, any job. And Yolanda said, okay, no problem. So you can unpack the boxes in the back. That was my first. I had a back room job. How old were you? I don't know, 15, whenever you're allowed to work a little bit on Saturday, you know, whenever you can work those limited, I was like, it's 14 and a half or 15, if it's, if it's still the same in Massachusetts. And I was in high school, everyone was off, you know, Friday night lights type of town in Waltham and everyone was off being a cheerleader or, you know, at a football game. And I was like, not for me, like, I want to be at the store, (laughs) you know? So I did all the odd jobs. I did, I was a wedding assistant, putting away the wedding dresses, like little me dragging like a 200 pound beaded dress. Like I was trying to like make my way up the back. Loving it and loving it. Oh, yeah. 
And then, then my big promotion was at the cafe, you know, they had like this little cafe after people went to their exercise classes and such. And so why I know that sounds like such a big story, but there was, that was really where I fell in love with it. That was a big aha. Yolanda's daughter, uh, Sandra Celli, she still is. She was a children's designer. She had gone to FIT in New York City and we met and she became my new idol. I don't have sisters. I was raised as an only child. Uh, that, you know, so that was very, very meaningful, older, you know, but still young and, and just starting out, you know, woman who I just kind of had like a group, like such a, such a, a idol crush on. Right. And she and her sister, Linda, who was a model, they, they really took me in as almost a little cousin, you know, or like a little sister. And they were, they exposed me to everything they could because I was so hungry to be just on their hip, honestly. So they invited me, she invited me into her sewing room, Sandra did, and she showed me how to knit and how to crochet. And she did all these things. She made Amazing. sweaters and bought mitzvah dresses. And yes. it was unbelievable. So pretty much from that moment on, Tanya, I was like, okay, I'm in high school. i got to figure out what I want to do. It's easy. I want to be a designer. I want to do, I want to take Sandra's path and inspiration. And that's what I want to do. That's it. No period. End of story. And very, it was so automatic. Yeah. Then it, then it it kind of morphs into something else. Right. So without even ever thinking, I apply, the only school I apply to is FIT in New York city, fashion Institute of technology. I luckily get in. I start summer school because I don't want to wait until September. So I literally leave right after graduation in June. I got on, you know, like the Greyhound bus and I took the summer dorm opportunity they had. And I just went to New York. It was empty. It was summer, you know, Were hot, you nervous horrible. or just so excited? Everyone was like, why aren't you just having a good time before you go to college? I was like, nope, I don't care about Cape Cod. I don't care about Nantucket. I want New York City. I cannot yes. get out fast enough. So I did it. I went there. I originally was there for an associate's degree and I absolutely loved it. I loved being in New York. I, I, I'll send you funny pictures. You'll laugh at with huge shoulder pads, like, ah. you know, posing in front of FIT and like a bad, They're back. the whole shoulder thing. Pads are back. <laughs> bad perm. Yeah. The whole thing. Perms at least have never gone back that badly. No, Hair texture is looking better than ever these days. Um, anyway, so I did it. I went and after my first year of school, I remember thinking, um, hmm, like I was probably in the, like, I think I was in the last quarter before break. And I was like, you know, I was doing my, I was doing my, my projects and such. And I remember I had a muslin project and um, I was doing well, but I changed, I, I had an inspiration to change something on the sleeve. And it was actually the way the pleat was done. And I did it, but that wasn't the direction. And I passed it into my professor and she failed me. It had never been failed. And so this was a big moment for me. And I, I, I need to tell you it because it's about defeat, failure, and challenge and why it's so critical to us right. in, our, in our paths. Okay? I hear it. And I, I remember I, I said to her, I need to speak to you. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, and she said, no problem. Come and see me after. So I had to go through all the school day. I was like really frustrated and like, what is she talking about? This was, you could wear this thing inside out. Who would wear muslin? You could totally wear. I like stayed up day and night and like made sure it was perfect. I sit, I go in to sit with her and she's like, so, you know, Greta, what, what's, what's up? You know, I'm so sorry. I know you, you, for the first time I've had a failing grade 
uh, you know, tell me what's on your mind. And I said, yeah, well, that's exactly what's on my mind. I proceeded to open up the garment. We went through every scene. I took all my notes out. Like I was like, I need to walk this woman through. And I was like in very respectful way, but I was like, maybe she's confused or maybe something happened. And you were you so know, I was, sure of it too. I was like fueled you and I was sure that I had put all my might into it. And she just sat and listened. She was unbelievable. So such an incredibly committed trainer and teacher to this day. And I've used in a million other ways, including TV and my work in TV, which I do believe has made me have longevity. And I know you will relate. And at the end, she goes, you done? I said, um, yeah, I said, yeah, I just, I really felt like I had to walk through. I, I want to learn something here. I just, I don't get it. And she picked up my garment and she said, you're right. You're right about all of it. And I said, okay. And she said, except for this. And she took out the piece of the the, the direction on the silhouette and the sleeve. She put it up on the board. She took the whole skeleton of the shape and she then put my shape up. And she said, when you changed that one detail, because you wanted to, I respect your inspiration. But if you were working at Ralph Lauren, at Donna Karen, at Calvin Klein, any of them, French, English, here, there, anywhere in the world, mm -hmm. and you leave this school and you think it's okay, or it's a small thing to change one part of the proportion or how something flares, but you did it perfect. What you did was perfect, but it wasn't what I asked for. Wow. And I remember Tanya, I was like, oh, <gasps> right. Because it actually it like, clicked. It resonated. But with it you, was, right? a, I had to gulp. I had to sit. I looked, I learned in a matter of four seconds flat. It was, it was, I was completely blind to that while I was doing it. And I was just in work mode. I was looking through my vision artistically, which again had relevance in another day and another conversation. Absolutely. And I've been able to have that right yep. at that moment in a training school learning also how to have a long-term career when you listen, when you have trust from a team to actually go forward with the vision and make it the best it can be, but not necessarily artistic license to go off the rails and recreate something else. It's real. It, it's something that has served me and has um, really been, I think a really big part of you know, all we talk about is the energy behind success and all the things you do and all the risks you take. Well, there's also an entire conversation about restraints, right? And about yeah. certain moments that you taper or you temper or you just have respect. It's and respect. so that moment was the process. It also did something else. So I'll give that its due. You know what else it did? It made me think twice about what I was, what I was going to be in love with, what the job was, what that career looked like who I needed to be every day and to dig deep and say, wow, I now have a new question. I thought this was it. This was the only thing I was going to be. I was riddled by sleeplessness. I was riddled by stress. I couldn't believe I had gotten this far. And now I was questioning whether or not I wanted to be a fashion designer. Really? She said to me in that meeting, she said, I, she said, one day you'll be able to do your sleeve. She said, but if you really want to be in this career and work for the very best of the best and earn you're in learn and mentor under the very best to one day be your own designer. You are going to have to learn that this is going to be your day-to-day -day job. And if you're lucky, you'll have an opinion on that three, five, seven, ten years up the line working for a house. Um, she said, so you need to think about your career ahead, not just this moment. And so 
one of my side jobs that I picked up, I, I originally was working in the garment district and this links up directly in a sewing circle, doing a lot of finishing. That was like my night job. I'd get out of school because I paid for my way in FIT. And I um, would go into the garment district and work till like two or three in the morning and just like, sew all the finishing or do labels or do whatever, just basic just, stuff, like just worked doing basic packaging things. stuff just to make extra ends meet. Mm-hmm. Well, you can imagine how boring that was. It was lonely, isolating and boring. So I got, I went to the job board and I, I noticed that they had an inter- uh, editorial assistant job. And basically it was like, it was a really nice word for just being a gopher, but being yeah. a gopher on sets. So, you know, a PA or whatever. Right, right. And so I said, great, I'll take it to do anything different. I just can't go back at night and do this. I feel like I am going to freak out. Right. Um, and this was all kind of happening in the melange of the similar time frame, And I worked for this woman who was an incredible makeup artist she, you know, I did just that. I got coffee for the models and prepped, you know, cleaned the brushes and did everything I had to do and started working with her more and more because she could count on me. And I'll bore you with the in-between, did a lot of that for a lot of months. And then one day came and I showed up for work and she looked white and I was like, what's wrong? She was super organized, no BS and did not have time for any, any chit chat or any of that. Like we weren't friends or buddies, but she was extremely good and amazing business person. And I was, I could see something was wrong. I was like, hi, I'm like, good morning. I was a little, little nervous to ask her, but I'm like, is everything okay? And she's like, everything will be fine, but you're doing makeup today. And I was like, what? I was like, I'm doing what? And she was like, she's like, I have six models here. This is the long and short of it. You don't need any more details than this. I have six models here. They originally booked my time for one. I've got Vogue and I've got shoots ahead of the day. We cannot be here the entire day. So I only have two hands. You put your makeup on this morning, right? I go, yeah. She goes, then you'll be just fine. Oh you've had plenty. You've had, a, you've had tons of weeks to watch me prep the faces. And I remember I was like, Getting me? Right I was into like, it. I'm the person with the coffee. What are you talking about? <laughs> And I've got like two CoverGirl lipsticks and like a wet and wild eyeliner. I don't <laughs> like, know. Do I know how to do this? I was like, shit. You know? Wow. Yeah. Honestly. I freak out. But you're like, I was. but knowing you, you were like, I got this. I, I was got like, this. you know. Yeah. yeah. So then I went and I, I prepped them. And from that day on, she never put me back on coffee. And from that day on, I remember finishing the last model. Like I definitely had like you know, like a little sweat on my brow and like, for sure. didn't scream me for anyone being wrong. We got through it because of her direction, her experience and her smarts to throw me in. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the end of like, you know, it's like a little assembly line. I remember at the end I was like putting, I was putting um powder on this young girl. She was so cute. And she's like, she's like, do you think I need anything more? She's like, is my skin perfect? And I looked at her and I go, you're perfect. You do not need any more. And she touched my hand and she said, you just made me feel so good. I'm so nervous. And you know what, Tanya? That was it. I I can tell you, I didn't know that day, but that day working so intimately and having that relationship with another person versus a drafting board or a sewing machine, or I just, I remember the, in the, in the beginning of the next uh, year of school, I went to my, I went to one of my favorite teachers and I said, I think I'm going to pause here. I think I, I think I need to explore something else. So I did, I went to hair, I went to cosmetology school. I worked, I worked, I went full-time. I pulled out. I did not go for bachelor's there. And I went for to cosmetology school and started learning how to be a hairdresser and um, you know, a full makeup artist at that time. So Greta, it's interesting because you did get the skills to sew. And it's interesting because that little detail, that one little seam, kind of changed 
the dialogue, right? Which then opened your mind to thinking, I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. And then you get thrown into, and I don't think this is an accident. I think this was all the plan. Like somehow Mm -hmm. this was the bigger plan. You're there bringing coffees and you get thrown into doing makeup for these models. But what I love about the fact that that girl at the end, the young girl said, you know, thank you so much. I was a little nervous, but I'm sure you were nervous as hell that day. So to hear her say that it like humanized the whole moment for you and made you realize, oh gosh, you know, we're, we're all kind of in this together. Absolutely. No question about it. And that was, that led to me going to cosmetology school, the cosmetology school. I met the owner of the school who hired me out as a manager, even though I was quite young, I trained under him. And then he made me a manager of one of his stores. And I was one of the people you spoke about that might be in your audience where I didn't own a store of my own, but I was given this incredible opportunity to basically make all my mistakes in his turf under his guidance and and his money. money. (laughs) Thank you. That's such an important insert. That's such, (laughs) especially in this moment, it's such an important insert, you know, really learned, was able to, you know, again, fail, but also make some really big strides for his business, business, which built my confidence up in a great, in a very great way. And then one day, you know, found myself, you know, not really dreaming, frankly, of owning a salon um, of my own. But I definitely remember there was a moment where he wanted to be a partner. And I remember I just wanted to keep working and being the manager. And, um, you know, it started to get there was some tension in that, that decline of being ready for for us, for he and I. Let me ask you about that a little more, because sure. It is interesting. I I can relate. You know, I have somebody that is like my right hand who I've offered that partnership to as well. Was it fear? Were you not ready for it? Why do you think that you didn't want to do a partnership? You would have rather have just stayed getting paid the salary. What what was it? Definitely fear. Definitely feeling um, that I couldn't bring enough experience to the table. And, you know, me, I don't remember having thoughts like, oh, I really prefer to do this on my own. I'm being really honest. I didn't at all. There was a comfort that I had already created so much success and a comfort with my life that was the first time in my life that I had earned. I was earning at the level that I was earning. Life felt consistent. There was safety. And there's a lot to be said about that, you know? And at that moment, I was really enjoying that. Now, would that have lasted? Would I have then, you know, evolved eventually? Sure. I mean, probably, it probably would have, but I really want to say, I think, you know, to give him credit, he having all the experience knew I was absolutely ready. You know, I was ready. And I think that what you can see as an experienced person offering this person something that you see all this potential and talent to, you know, what I would say to you, just because we are stopping on it, is I wish maybe he had patience. We perhaps could have done that. And I don't think my my feelings of success would have been different. It's just that it was for him at that moment, he needed, and his right, he needed to make decisions. I was not at that road yet. And it wasn't like we could kind of continue to just work the way we were working for him. For me, I could have. Um, but it's like you said, it kicks you off into another direction. And that it did. I found myself having to be pressured to make decisions that, you know, that, that 
at that moment when I said no to him, you know, I didn't think I was going to be faced with it, but I certainly was faced with it. And we knew we had to part ways because there was tension and it just wasn't as natural because he had a timeline and he had a goal and he wanted to fulfill it. And I totally wasn't stepping up, you know? So basically it put me into a moment. Now I was like, well, if I can't work here, I don't want to work at any of those other places. I've created amazing success here. Everyone here is my teammate. You know, I, I've been able to own this business, like with the pride and the sweat and the tears and the whole thing, which is all of what would happen on a day and day basis and work 80 hours a week and love every moment of it. And then I realized, you know what? I can't go and work in another place where I can't have the quality and the experience. So I guess I'm going to have to be forced to find my own space. I'll be honest with you, Tanya. I don't even think I thought of it in those days now, like, oh, I'll be a boss. And, you know, I see these young girls and they tweet and they're like, I just opened a suite today and I'm the boss. And I'm like, wow, I love these girls. I had no vibes like that whatsoever. I was like survival mode. Like, you know, I got to do this. And I loved my clients. My clients were my you know, my customers, my clients, my couple, my co my colleagues, the collaboration, that's what was, that's what felt like for me, it was like the potential loss of family. It was so big and daunting that I made it my mission. I had to solve that problem. I just had to. So I was very fortunate that in hairdressing school, I met a woman by the name of Nicole Leone. I believe you've met her. To this day, she's my best friend and she was my co-founder. She is the first one. I, I, when I met her, I was teaching at the school part-time. I knew right away she was special and amazing, but more than that, I just dug her. I just loved her. Like we immediately got each other. Like it was like we knew each other forever. You know, when that happens. And so long, long story short, you know, this happened with my boss and I didn't even think of her initially, but we always stayed friends. And it was really her who planted the seed. She was like, I don't, I really think you can do it on your own. And I would love to be part of it. And I was like, what are you talking about? You would? Why? <laughs> I was like, why? I'm not sure I can run this boat. And you know what? I, I mean, to give, to give another woman and to also give him credit because by him, basically by, you know, my former owner and boss saying, this is my line you know, observe it and respect it, that pushed me in one direction. And then another woman that I had respected and befriended as I was trying to, you know, sort through all my nerves and my concerns and my, my lack of confidence, you know, by her stopping and acknowledging and saying, no, 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 you know, you've brought us to here. And at the time she was someone I had selected to work within the company. She said, you brought us to here. Like, you know, we, we want to, I just want to tell you whether it's me or someone else or just on your own, you're going to be good. Like, I know you're really rattled. You're going to be fine. You know, Sometimes you just I'm, need to hear that. Right. But it's things get crazy and, and it snowballs in our head. And then we, all of a sudden it's the biggest thing out there when obviously there's bigger things out there, but to yeah. just have a, a sound person say to you, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Yes. Someone you admire and trust. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it, it was a lot. I want to say this because I want to give you credit. It was a lot harder than I ever thought. I I think, I think anyone who hasn't been in the shoes of upstarting and sustaining their own company, again, it's not a shame on you. We're better than you kind of scenario. I truly believe and know that if anyone wants it, they can have that for themselves. But what I would say is, 
you know, just dig in because this is definitely a, it's a, it's a decision where every, there is no clocking out anymore. Like you said, there is no, like, you know, you're, you're thinking of it, you're planning it, you're doing it from the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to sleep. But it's not just you either. It's all the families and the people that are your family within the work place that are, that are so important, you know, and your clients, everything, everything is just this incredible charge of, you know, um, of, of, of building this together, you know, with you at the lead, both on, both on the parts that are incredible to experience, like these incredible, um, blessings and, you know, these incredible, uh, you know, moments that we get to experience as founders and, and, and entrepreneurs running business, but also the risk the downside, yes. the real challenge, managing and I'm, employees. And I'm going to say inconvenience, right? Like mm-hmm. utter inconvenience of, hey, I want to go to my cousin's wedding, but you know the TV show's got to be taped now, so I've got to I've got to sacrifice something. Or this client needs to have this, and their event has to be even more important than mine. I, someone's got to sacrifice. So so there's all of this, right? Like. I'm sure you with supply chains, you know, supply issues and opening up huge restaurants that need, you know, there's just an, you need to basically be all in for that. Right. A lot of clients expect Greta, right? So when they make an appointment, they want you. And how did you make that a part of your, your business profile to be able to say, okay, here's, I have at this point, you probably had like six or seven operating entities going on. Yes. Everybody wants Greta. How do you train your client, your staff, everyone to know that you're not going to get Greta? You're going to get mm-hmm. my team. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Yeah. Yes. Great question. I think it was a moment. So I gave them Greta. I gave all of Greta that I could give. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, took clients at 630 in the morning. I was there at 1030 at night. Right. When I opened the second location, I thought, oh, I'm so clever. It's no problem. I'll just split my day. I'll go from Wellesley. I'll drive to Chestnut Hill. I'll get out of the car. I'll go behind that chair. I'll have three people in three chairs until 11 o'clock. And then we'll do it all over again. So I did that for, I did that grind and did every single store that I opened from Wellesley to Copley and then to Connecticut, you know, and started doing that once a week, then twice a week. And honestly, it was an amazing run. But what ended up happening was that I understood I got to this critical overfilled mark, not burnt out, but meaning I, it was very clear to me that two things were happening. Number one, I was running all over while my business needed management. And the people that were joining me were not really having the full spotlight on what they brought to the party of this business. Because, yes, it was great that I had all the referrals, I had the platforms, I had all of this. But what wasn't great is it felt like there was growing distance between me and my team not because we, we, they admired me endlessly, but there really was not a place they could grow. Because I was so busy being the conductor. Mm -hmm. I was so busy going from chair to chair saying, she'd be great with a platinum. I want you to do, you know, 16 foils in the front vertically. And then I think you should do, you know, and and those were incredible training grounds. I want to say, I want to give it credit. We created very busy, very, very busy, rock solid clientels. Nicole was a huge part of that. She taught cutting. I taught color. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was a system that worked. 
until I was at a stage in my career where I had a great opportunity, a big break, if you will, with right. Rachel Ray. Yes. Uh, actually, before Rachel Ray, it was TLC. I'm sure you remember those days. Oh, I it was remember, called The Makeover yes. Story. Yes. And it was a traveling show. So see, I was, I was hitting earlier on and didn't know anyone like you to go to to ask you how you do this. So I started traveling. And as I traveled, I, I was letting down my customers. I was, you know, because I had no infrastructure for management at all. I was everything. I was the manager. I was the HR. I was the, you know, the whole thing with Nicole. We were struggling. We would take laundry out on our back because no one could do it. We wanted to. And what I realized is it doesn't work. It doesn't work at a certain size and scale. If you want to have one place or you want to work in one region, and you want to be the person who does everything from, you know, if you're in a restaurant, you want to go in and turn the key and you want to turn out the lights at night. You want to make the pasta and you want to make the you know, bolognese. So be it. But if you want to be able to touch and connect with more people than that, then you need to make everyone on your team a collaborator and they need to be able to have those relationships right alongside of you or it can't happen. And I do think, Tanya, in retrospect, so I got to that fork in the road with seven locations. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wait, wait, I'm wait, starting before, to feel- before you go further, I have to yeah. tell you what you just said was gold. Oh. That's gold. That is actually what I think a lot of people need to hear if they okay. do want to diversify, because you're right. One thing that happens is as a business owner, you end up feeling, and I'm sure you felt this when you started traveling, and you weren't physically there, you felt guilt. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. it, It's a lot of guilt and it's coming from a lot of places. And with Nicole, you probably felt guilty that you were leaving her to run things while you were traveling and doing this, the shows, your, your stylists, everybody that you talk to daily and we're always there for, you're growing. There's a bigger demand now for Greta and you can't physically be there, but the guilt of how of how to keep this going and have everybody still feel like you're there is a lot. It's a lot to deal with. It is. And I liked that. You know, I liked being, I liked it. Like I like, I still love when I pop in the salon. I always say I feel my best when I'm in the salon or the store and I'm near and dear, like it's incredible. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've learned now that we can be more if we, if we also are spread out. And if I give people room, they grew. And once I was out, Once I wasn't conducting every single step in the salon, you know, my biggest fear, and I think you would have this too, or any founder, I was like, oh, it's, you know, I heard from everyone, it's going to go wrong. It's terrible. People in your industry can't do this. Your name. You hear that all the time. Your name. name. Like, you're going to go. People don't care. I don't agree with that. My 25 years in business, people who work with you, you find the right people, they care. They care just as much as you. And on some days when you're flat on your back and flat out, which after two years ago, going through breast cancer, my team never stopped, never stopped. I couldn't leave the chemo chair. I could, I was, you know, in multiple surgeries and guess what? Never stopped. The Break with Tanya Nyack, a Mudhouse Media Production.